Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider, brought to you, as ever, by Vanishing Inc. Now, this podcast is owned by Vanishing Inc. Therefore, we're allowed to change the format without consultation or warning. And today we're doing that. It's going to be a very special episode of the show, with not one, not two, but three guests. And we'll bring them in now. Our co-founders, Mr. Joshua Jay and Mr. Andy Gladwin, and the legendary Chief Operating Officer, Mr. George Luck. Andy wanted me to explain that this isn't his house and he's in the warehouse. Josh, I believe, is in his parents' house. And George is in our American warehouse. So there we go. Everybody knows where everybody is. Let's kick off. Now, I've dragged you all the way from packing orders during our massive Black Friday sale to talk about something special, a book, but not just any book, a special book. Now, Andy, you love magic books and have a library many are envious of. Do you recall your first magic book, um, what it was and how you ended up with it? You know, it wasn't even a, a full on magic book. It was a magic CD-ROM, weirdly, uh, which I guess uh, in some ways sets the tone of, of my life working in magic and IT. Um, but it was by Keith Fields and it was this collection of tricks. I think it had some uh, some ebooks with it, uh, but also videos of Keith doing magic. So you put it into your computer and there was this whole software that you would navigate through and you would learn tricks. And I remember he had the bouncing bread roll and all sorts of beginners tricks. And then interestingly, Keith, was one of the first lecturers I saw. So it's, uh, yeah, to me, Keith Fields was the world's most famous magician because I just saw him everywhere I was learning magic. And then over the years, I started to uh, to invest more in magic and Art of Astonishment uh, was actually some of the first books that I bought. And I saw it advertised in the small ads in a local newspaper. A local magician was selling the Art of Astonishment for 90 pounds, which I think is probably more expensive than they are now. And I went to his house and I bought them from him and yeah, didn't understand much of it. But uh, now I study those books often and return to them often. And they were amongst my first. That is an astonishing jump from the bouncing bread roll to Art of Astonishment. Um, what was the first magic book you wrote? Not a fanzine at school, but like published proper book. Yeah, that's an interesting story. It was a book that I wasn't supposed to write, but it was a book called The Magician's Cookbook by my friend Jack Parker. He suffered from leukemia when he was uh, a teenager, and he wanted to give back to the leukemia charity that helped him back then. So he collected tricks from, I think, 20 of his uh, favorite magicians, and it was called The Magician's Limited Cookbook. The limited being that they were limited to only using one slide in the book. And Jack as he was writing it, realized uh, in his words that he wasn't the guy for the book. So he brought me on to write it. I'd never written a magic book before either, but I tried my best. And that kind of accidentally started a whole life of writing and publishing magic books. Okay, so so that was that. But what about the first magic book you published? Well, I guess The Magician's Cookbook, because back then I didn't really have that many connections in magic. So to publish a magic book, the most logical way was let's just do it ourselves. And, you know, I'd never, I'd never laid out a book before. So I had to learn a lot as I went. But then the first Vanishing Ink book, once Josh and I partnered, I guess Josh would have been Holy Blank. And then after that, maybe Runes World and Destroyers, um, which... I mean, High Spots, not Holy Blank. That was the Sorry, thing. High Spots, Holy Blank is his trick. And that's why you're here to basically correct all of my mistakes. There will be many of them. There will be many of them. Oh, well. 
Thanks for that save, Josh. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk to you momentarily. Over the last ten years, Vanishing Ink has carved out a niche for itself as a publisher of quality magic books. Josh, why do you think that was an important thing to do? Well, I mean, what you're really asking is a fundamental question about Andy and I, and that is that you know, Vanishing Ink's grown quite a lot, but we didn't start it to to have some huge magic enterprise. We started it to put out the magic we like. We truly, you know, we say this all the time and it sounds like lip service, it's true, it's that we are trying to be the magic company we wish we could shop from. So what Andy and I love are our books. I mean, we both devour books, we talk about books all the time, we are always chatting about new books, books we wish could be written, and now we're in this amazing position where a lot of the conversations Andy and I have are things like, hey, there's no really great definitive biography of all of the magicians of color in the world. So let's do one. We can commission that. We can say, hey, there really should be a book of this person's magic. We do it. So we put out books not because they're the most profitable. They aren't. We put out books not because they're easy. They're so hard. They take months and months, sometimes years of work, whereas a DVD you could film in a weekend. But we do it because that's what we're passionate about, truly. Talking of the difficulty of, of actually making them, George, Talk to us about your role in getting the books from Andy's supercomputer into customers' hands. What's that process? Because I bet most people listening don't really understand it. I know yeah, I don't. It's a it's an interesting process. That's for sure. I'll give Andy lots of credit here because typically he um, the file that I would get often is completely done, laid out. So uh, sometimes all my input is is just uh, working on the cover design or working on uh, perhaps a slipcase, something like that. But the process is really interesting. Uh, we have basically unlimited scope, so we can do anything. We can come up with the weirdest, wackiest, most wonderful idea, as you're going to see with the book we're talking about today. Uh, and it can be made. Uh, and that's really exciting from my point of view as, uh, as a designer, as a product designer, because I have no limits. Uh, so with Andy's book, we, uh, we came up with this very, very elaborate uh, design. And we, even we were starting to wonder whether this could be made. Uh, of course, of course, it could be it took a bit of trial and error. Um, but the process is actually quite quick. We work quite quickly. Uh, Andy, a little known fact, he can lay out almost any book in one day, uh, which is continues to astound me. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, once we have the layout, we have the design, we do some visual mockups, uh, and that often really helps us because we can, by rendering a 3D, <clears throat> pardon me, rendering a 3D version of uh, any product. You can see what it looks like, what's good, what's bad, what might be ugly in real life, what might be prettier in real life, uh, and then uh, you can from there send it, send it to the print. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very condensed version of what happens, but there's lots of moving parts. We work with very talented uh, factories around the world to help us, uh, help us do it. In typical George fashion, he hasn't given himself full credit there. There's such a big distribution process that goes on that you wouldn't even think about because we often print books outside of the US. So we have to get these books imported and shipped across the ocean, often in full containers, and then they have to get shipped in lorries from the port to us. And there's days of customs paperwork that George completes. Then he has to get half the books across from America to the UK. It's an absolute machine that George manages. And as always, he undersells it. But what the work that he does is, first of all, he sets the taste of our books. I feel a lot of the way setting the design style and, and pushing me to do better layouts and, and bringing members of our team together to make the trailers right, to make the, the covers right. 
But then on top of that, all of the logistics is an absolute nightmare. And uh, there's only one man I know who could do it. He sat right there. So thank you for doing that, George. I'm very flattered. Thank you. I've... Well, any, any of you can take this one. Um, what's been the most challenging book to publish in terms of writing or producing or publishing? If I was to answer, I would almost certainly give you the cheats answer, which is that every single book has its own challenges. And that might be um, a author that insists on a load of text changes right at the end of the project. And that's basically like saying to me, hey, you're about to dedicate three days of your life to, to changing some text changes. Because when you change text at the last minute of a book, it relays out the whole book and basically you start again. Um, or, or it could be you know, an author who's got such a specific vision that you have to really work hard to solve that vision uh, and meet their requirements. So every book has its own difficulties. Well, I'll, I'll jump in and say that I would contend that this book was the most challenging. I can give a number of reasons why. Um, Go on. Imagine, so put yourself in Andy's position. You've published hundreds of books over the last 10 years, and then you, you, you're going to publish your so obviously he's going to be a perfectionist. We know that. That's that's a given. But then you, you think of the number of critiques that he's seen of other magic books in the past, the number of times he's received one of our books and thought, mm, that paper stock could have been better or these photos could have been better. So I can think of five or ten things where we would honestly go back to the drawing board completely. So uh, we, uh, there were, when there was a photo he wasn't happy with, we would, that photo would be retaken until he was completely happy with it. He went through countless versions of the cover stock, the paper stock, uh, went through samples that would come, wasn't happy, would send back. Um, so in terms of really, I, I guess, us pushing ourselves and what we were able to do, this was, was certainly the most challenging. I think that came from the prison that he was looking at this through, which is Andy wanted this to be the perfect magic book. And that's so, so hard to reach when he's looking at it through all of the criticisms he's ever leveled at other magic books or books he's published or problems he's found in other books. Um, so that there were thousands of small things, many things that will never be noticed, I think Andy's probably trying to improve on. And I think even now, he's still thinking what he could be doing to make it even better, not necessarily with the book now, but with the launch. So I just realized something. What you've just described there is what I basically complained about with other authors. So, you know. <laughs> I, I would add that, yeah, I mean, I, I think that from the editorial side, it was an equally rigorous um, process. So, you know, Andy would often share with me, hey, will you read this and tell me what you think? Well, I think it's great. And then it ends up being cut and replaced with something even better. I mean, there's as much material that ended up on the cutting room floor as ended up between these covers. And that just speaks to the level of detail that you're getting. Josh. I realise this is a bit like picking a favourite child, so I'm going to phrase this carefully. What are some of the books that we've published in the last 10 years that you think every magician should have on their shelf? Um, so so I, um, I'm glad you asked that question. And I'm going to answer that question in a very biased way. Um, I think that if you ask that to other people in the company, they would say some of our most popular projects like One Degree or... Principia or, you know, any number of, of books that we've been lucky enough to sell through many printings of. But there is a project that I don't think gets its due. And I, it would be my answer to your previous question when you asked what, what is the hardest one to do. And that's the definitive sanctity. 
Um, Andy and I spent two years truly full time writing the Definitive Sanctum, Williams One for Three. It's not available anymore, so this isn't like a plug for you to get it. But genuinely, I think that Jay Sankey um, has created, let's call it 25 to 30 of, the, of some really stellar, perfect magic tricks. Now, we know that he creates volumes and volumes of tricks, and the quality is sort of all over the map. But there is no denying that he has created some true neoclassics. And if you read the Definitive Sankey, all three volumes, you have 500 tricks, a treasure trove of creativity, and you're going to learn to think in a creative way. So that's that's the unsung one, I think. Good answer. <laughs> Andy, you have been working on what really is a first for you that we've uh, touched on already. It's unusual considering how many books you've involved being in. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'll edit this bit. Andy, you've quietly been working on what really is a first for you, which is unusual considering how many books you've already been involved in bringing to life. Tell us about The Boy Who Cried Magic and how it got started. Well, it got started years ago when I used to just write up my tricks as I was, uh, once I'd got them to a state where I was happy with and uh, performed them frequently, I would write them up uh, so that in my notes I had the full explanation of my material. And I always told people, one day I'm going to put them all together and I'm going to publish a book. And you know what happens when you publish magic books for a living is everybody else's project always takes priority and it has to. That's a big part of my job. So it kind of got to the point where it was almost a running joke amongst our team of like, well, I'll lay this book out and I'll edit this book, but the next one will be mine. And it just never was. So The Boy Who Cried Magic came about when I finally took some time off. I took uh, six weeks off and uh, my family and I, we went to Las Vegas for that time. And that's when I just sat down and I really thought, what do I want to say to the magic world? This isn't about having a book for ego purposes. This isn't a book about making money. This is a book of what do I just want to say? What do I want to get out there that somebody might find useful or hopefully inspiring? And, and that's what The Boy Who Cried Magic is. It's just a combination of my my tricks but also how i structure my tricks and it's in, in many ways a, a fun project um but for me just a way of collecting all my thoughts together and i'm really proud of what it's become where does the name come from well that was on a drive uh josh was doing a lecture tour in the uk i guess uh, a couple of years ago and uh we were just driving late night and i can remember the exact roundabout we were driving around when i just said i've got it the boy who cried magic. How about that? And it was just a, you know, one of those moments where it just pings into your head. Um, and it's, it was just a title that just feels right for the book and the collection of work, especially given that I had planned to call it, as I was writing it all throughout, Operandi, as a play on the word Andy, the A-N-D-I at the end. And I just always told myself, this is, yeah, not a good, not a good title for this book. And <laughs> I always knew that I had to have something better, so I was so pleased when it came. And it, it's also it's also very appropriate because Andy's a crier. I mean, most people in his life know that. He cries a few times a day about little things, like if his coffee's not hot enough, or um, you know, if his if his uh, the clarity of his screen isn't great on his laptop. I mean, just he cries a lot, so the title felt very apt for that. Mm -hmm. And I just cry little tears of magic tricks. So often you'll see like a hibbity hot rabbit just coming out as a tear. 
People listening to this probably now will have seen the trailer for the book, which is astonishing. Now, George, the trailer for the book is an amazing Steadicam shot that never cuts. Talk to us about the shoot, how you organised and planned it, and indeed what you thought when Andy initially pitched the idea to you. Sure. Well, uh, that's a fun one. Uh, Andy and I would, I think we were on a car journey. Lots of lots of this book was formed in cars. It seems uh, we were on a car journey uh, in Europe somewhere, and uh, we were talking about ideas for the trailer. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, as well as having published many magic books, Andy has also been responsible for many magic trailers, and also many of the great magic trailers. So uh, we were trying to come up with brainstorm ideas for what could be a unique, interesting, very distinctive trailer for the boy that cried magic. Uh, and we came up with this, or I say we came up with the idea, we, we kind of threw ideas at the wall, and one of them was we should do a trailer in one take. Uh, and there we thought the idea would stay and would never come back to it. <laughs> but it stuck, uh, and Andy kept coming back to it. Uh, and I was kind of regretting uh, <laughs> pitching the idea, but it's, uh, it's really hard. Like, filming a trailer in multiple cameras with multiple takes really hard. Uh, but we did manage to pull off the trailer in one uh, single camera tip. And uh, what you see is exactly what you get. There are no cuts in there. There's no uh, sort of clever edits where the camera glides behind something and an edit point happens. So, yeah, we uh, took a lot of planning. Uh, lots of, believe it or not, we had to map out every single part of the trailer. There's a physical map of where Andy would walk, when, uh, the steps he would take, the beats he would make. Uh, and with a lot of fun, we had this enormous soundstage in Las Vegas, which we used for it. Uh, and honestly, even on the day, after months of planning for that, I still wasn't convinced uh, that we'd get it. But sure enough, uh, Andy did manage to do it uh, remarkably quickly as well. We thought we'd be there for days, and uh, it took less than one day. Did you say less than one amazing. month? No, less than one day. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did feel like it was a long day, but it was uh, really rewarding. I think perspective and scale is really important when it comes to magic books. Josh, why do you think this book is better than Magic Atlas? <laughs> <laughs> Something told by our host. Um, well, I mean, look, the best magic books are sort of encompassing of a whole career something of a whole, you know, lifetime worth of effort. And while we hope Andy's life is over, he did wait. And by waiting, what you're getting is 15 to 20 years worth of the best of the best. And I think that counts for a lot. I mean, this book's very, very impressive in not just the production side, which I think is what people are going to notice first, but far more importantly, to me anyway, is that the material stands the test of time. I mean, I saw all the great stuff that would have been a potential for the book, and what made it in really, truly is exceptional. Fair play, fair play. Andy, what can people expect when they buy the book? The blurb says that it contains your real working set, but, but does it really? Is that is the contents of the book actually what you do when you go out and gig? Um, first of all, thank you, Josh, for answering the Magic Atlas question. That was very uh, funny. Um, yeah, and this stuff is, 
yeah, it's a real mix of material because I work in different environments. So there really is my walk around set. Now, obviously, not every trick I do in walk around, but the very best um, pieces of my walk around set, they're in here from a full five, six minute routine that I do with um, multiple selections, not the multiple selection routine, but uh, where I have uh, three cards selected at the start of the routine and then I perform. Uh, various tricks with those three selections. There's a trick I use uh, in walk around. If I ever accidentally lose the selection, or you know, sometimes somebody will say that's not my card. It, you know, and they're, they're trying to screw you up. So there's a trick I use to get out of all of those situations. Then there's my parlor set. Then you know, if you if you ever doubt whether or not the tricks in this book are from my set, you, if you ever see me do a parlor routine, you will see me do my. The, the tricks that are, are in this book and there's even some stuff on stage as well and yeah these are all things that are genuinely from my repertoire and that was really important to me actually i didn't want to fill this with a book of pipe dreams or, or half thought out tricks you know writing a book is a permanent thing so i wanted this to really represent the magic that i've been doing for the last 15 years so to answer your question in a short way yeah these are definitely the tricks that i do all the time because they are the tricks that I want people to see of you know what I've been performing. Sure, sure. Josh, there are 16 tricks and 15 new moves in the book. What are some highlights from your point of view? Yeah, sure. So um, the one that everybody talks about and the one that I probably do the most is the undo cut. Looks, uh, looks like this. You gonna do it? Yeah, why not? Yeah. And that's totally false. Um, that's Andy's, and I think that's great. I think it's one of the best calls because it almost looks like a shuffle. You could call it a, a hybrid shuffle. But, um, he's got one. Uh, Andy, what's the name of the sandwich tray? Oh, that's called Ghost. Ghost. I really love Ghost. Um, so smart to add in a little bit of equivocate. That's the part that fools everybody. Um, uh, his sort of version of Cocktail Dazzler, his long routine is, is really lovely. And he's got a routine the basic red black principle in a, in a really interesting way that you've been doing forever that I'm glad is going to a wider audience. I mean, I could go on, but yeah, it's, I mean, I edited the book, so I'm, I'm fond of all of it, but so does the case. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, 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 I'll add one thing there really quick. I, I didn't ask you, people, George, but go on. <laughs> I couldn't take this off. Um, I think lots of people would jump to some of the excellent tricks, but there's something I hope people don't overlook. There's a number of small finesse Andy dedicates time to it. Um, and one in particular, which I'll call out, is the ambitious card that's only do when you bend the card, put it into the top. The top. Um, Andy has got an unbelievably great finesse on that. And that's just one of many that are in the book, um, whereby the deck is flat on your hand. So you're not holding the edges of the deck. Uh, the deck is flat on your hand, and that bent card you dip top to the top. Uh, so I would encourage people to kind of hunt deep in the book because there is a, a whole handful of things just like that that lots of people will miss. But if you find them, I think you'll be, uh, you'll be well rewarded. Can we talk about something else? I, I don't like it when people say these nice things. Thank you. It's all right. So as George is talking, I'll ask him a question about the deluxe edition. Okay. Um, explain what people get with the deluxe edition. Um, George, oh, yeah. and the production process for making something like that. Yeah, well, we touched a little bit on the production process earlier, and uh, certainly this the, del the, the deluxe uh, edition you'll see here is our most elaborate deluxe uh, book, limited edition book we've ever produced, no question. 
when you get it, our hope is that you'll open it and you will be stunned by what you get because you get something that is really substantial. You're going to open up this gorgeous slipcase inside. You'll find the book, of course, housed in its own slipcase. You just want to slip it onto your uh, bookshelf. And then we've got the decks of cards. Uh, inside, you're going to find uh, two decks of cards. The only way you can get them at the moment is uh, by getting the deluxe edition. Uh, and these are decks which Andy uh, was intricately involved in the design process of. They're the decks he uses, uh, and they're made on everything. We pulled out all the stops uh, with the deck, just like we did with the book. They're produced on Cartamundi's highest grade stock uh, with the crushed finish, uh, and they look gorgeous. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it, that was a, a challenge you wanted to produce. Like I touched on it earlier, we, we had crazy idea for what the deluxe edition could look like. Uh, we did manage to pull it off. Uh, I'm so, so excited for people to get these in their hands. Because this is, if, if I were to own one deluxe edition magic book, it would be this one. Uh, it really does feel like a million dollars. Yeah, I'm awfully excited for people to get it. So are there any plans for these cards to be released to us mere mortals that don't get the deluxe edition of the book? Maybe we not talk about that yet. Maybe, Maybe one, one day. day. Uh, yeah, I don't know yet. Um, it depends how many. Uh, yeah, that's a question we have to look into. Uh, but okay. basically, I'm using them all the time. I may use up the whole supply. And we have so <laughs> we have so few of them as well. So there's, there's that. We can, we will, right? That's. I guess that's the best answer. If if we okay. have enough left over, we will. Andy Gladwin, what do Hi. you think is the single most important thing? you want somebody to come away with after reading the book? Wow. Um, you know, there's a there's a trend, I think, that owning a magic book is almost feels more important than reading the magic book at times. You know, you if you talk to people about magic books, like I, I hear this saying all the time, oh, I have that book. But I less often hear people say, oh, I've read that book. And I think mm. when we buy books, we, um, you know, we, we flick through it, we, we have that, excitement that inside this book is is brand new tricks that I'm going to use in my repertoire and my show and then the book gets put aside again and forgotten about because that initial excitement doesn't last so if there's one thing I hope that this book shares is that actually it's not about owning the book it's about investing the time in the book and reading the material and and experimenting with the ideas and hopefully being inspired by some of the ideas so Regardless of whether it's my book or other books, I guess if there's one thing that I want people to take away from this book is that it's okay to invest serious time in a book. So don't just own it and put it on the shelf, but read it, invest time in it, spend time playing with the ideas, developing the ideas, personalizing them and uh, and performing them too. Very good answer. Now, this is awful, but we have just about run out of time. Now, Andy and Josh have both been on the podcast before, so they've done my four quick-fire questions. George doesn't know I'm going to do this. But, George, look, you're going to get my four quick-fire questions. Are you ready? I am ready, David. Favourite pizza topping? I'm going to go classic margarita. Favourite movie? Gladiator. Okay. Favourite person or people that make music? Ooh, I was on a good streak there. Quick, quick answer. Uh, I'll go. I'll say red hot chili peppers for now. No, then, okay, we'll take that. And finally, who would you rather fight? One massive Andy Gladwin or a hundred tiny Joshua Jays? <laughs> I have thought about that a lot. 
Um, uh, I'm going to go with. I'll take them both on. I'll oh, big mistake. big mistake. Let's change the question. I'm going to George. You you know both Josh and I very well. We've travelled together lots. Who yeah. would you rather fight, me or Josh? Um, I think I'd rather fight Josh because I could outrun you. You can't outrun me. <laughs> Tell them the story, George. Well, we had a. This is this is probably like the moment of greatest shame for me since working. <laughs> and there have been many, George. There have been many. So we have every year uh, when a lot of our team gather at the warehouse in a normal year, not not this year, unfortunately, uh, but we gather at the US warehouse and we have uh, an annual race. And the race goes around the entire warehouse, which is probably, I don't know, 400, 500 meters. Uh, and Andy uh, was always left in my dust year on year on year. And then it's one year, last year, I don't know what happened. But somebody put a rocket in him, and he was able to beat me time on time. And I was there like any store loser, going, "No, no, just one more race, one more race." And he got me every time. But that's pending a rematch, so we'll see. Next the shame year. in this man's voice, because literally, as I beat him, which was a miracle, like just I guess luck, he was like, "No, something must be wrong. I must be just running slow." He just could yeah. not accept it. I was looking at all the variables, seeing what, what was wrong. But yeah, Andy has currently got the vanishing speed record so we'll see how long he holds. Well, if we can i i know that video is knocking around so uh, if we can find it i'll put a link to it in the show notes just as a special little bonus for everybody. i don't think it exists well, anymore. I, don't, I don't remember any video being taken yeah know. there's a video there's a video all right luck um gentlemen there are orders to be packed we have vanishing ink customers waiting to get their packages uh so uh, thank you very much indeed for your time I look forward to seeing the book because although you've all got it, I actually haven't read a copy of it yet. So I look forward to reading it, not just having it. Andy, Joshua, George, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thanks, David.